Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Zoe Kravitz on High Fidelity, The Batman, and her comfort movie, The American President. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz, and welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. We obviously took a little bit of a break um, for what I hope are obvious reasons. Um, what was already a tough world we were living in um, the last few months turned into um, that much more of a sad and complicated uh, world in the last few weeks, um, thanks to the horrific death of George Floyd, and um, thankfully the public outcry, the worldwide outcry, really, to uh, that injustice. Um, it's, uh, it's been a crazy time, to say the least. Um, we're living through history. We were already living through history thanks to a once-in-a-generation uh, pandemic, and now we're living through history in a different way in that we're seeing a, hopefully, a sea change here in the United States, if not the world, when it comes to accepting the racial injustice, the systemic injustice that is still very much a part of our society. Um, you know, I'm like the rest of you guys. It's been, uh, I've been vacillating between um, sadness and depression and hope. <laughs> and hope is all we have right now. Um, but it's more than hope, it's action. And it's been heartening to see the action on the streets here in New York City and around the country and again around the world. But also the action, yes, on social media, but more importantly, um, in terms of, you know, opening our pocketbooks where we can, if we're able to, um, and just shouting for change, necessary change. Um, certainly, it's been a time of introspection for me, and I think hopefully all of you. Um, and because of that, we took a little bit of a break on Happy Second Fuse. It felt like a necessary break, a respectful break, and... Um, uh, we are thankfully back with a new episode that I'm very proud of, but I do want to, you know, just also say that like, again, like everybody else, I've been looking for ways to, to help in any way I can. And, and a lot of it's been about reading and listening and, and, and sort of taking stock of your own complicity. Um, and a lot, a lot of it's also figuring out the, the smaller or large ways that you can help. And, and as I said, if you're able to contribute, uh, via your pocketbook, and I know times are tough for a lot of people, um, but if you are able to contribute to something like Black Lives Matter, go to blacklivesmatter.com. Um, you know, I've contributed to uh, the Turn Texas Blue campaign, which, you know, if we turn Texas to the Democrats in this coming election, it's, uh, it's a done deal for, uh, for this president to be out of there. And certainly it's not going to solve everything. To get rid of Trump, but it is a necessary and absolute imperative that uh, this guy, this racist, this horrible man leaves the office and we can get back to trying to repair the systemic wounds in this country and the wounds that he has only exacerbated. And, you know, I know I see on Twitter, I see, you know, some people that listen to me don't share my political views and that's fine, but you know, this is, this is life and death for a lot of people. And this is life and death for the planet. <laughs> so 
So um, I'm not going to be polite. I'm going to speak my mind um, until I'm blue in the face. Um, and if you disagree and you don't want to listen to the show, Godspeed. Good luck. But um, this is this is too important to be quiet. So as I said, you know, if you can contribute, go to BlackLivesMatter.com. Uh, maybe turn Texas blue, ACLU, NRDC. There's so many causes out there fighting different sort of fights um, that are all sort of um, heading in the right direction. So, um, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. This episode, uh, turning to somewhat lighter topics, <laughs> this episode is with a great guest, someone that I'd wanted to talk to on Happy Second Fuse for quite a while. Zoe Kravitz is on the show today. Um, she was speaking to me from London where she has been holed up since the lockdown a few months back. She was in the middle of shooting the Batman. I know you're excited. You're as excited as I am. Probably Matt Reeves, Batman with Robert Pattinson and Paul Dano and Colin Farrell and Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle, Catwoman. Couldn't be more stoked for this one. Um, this, I should also mention this was taped before, the latest round of insanity and sadness. So, you know, there's not discussion in any overt ways about um, what's been going on in this country the last few weeks. That being said, it's kind of a timely show in that Zoe chose to talk about The American President, which is one of my favorite movies and truly fits the bill as a comfort movie for myself. And I think it is appropriate in these times and and inappropriate in, in a in an odd way in that it, it is a portrait of politics that can work, of idealism, of um, passion for causes, and, um, and, and just an idea of, of good people striving to make the United States a better place. And, you know, we've had some great people in the White House. We don't have one right now. But um, this is hopefully a reminder that... Um, Good things are possible, even in politics, even in the sordid world of politics. So uh, I really loved talking to Zoe about this one. We share uh, an absolute adoration of this movie, Rob Reiner's um, The American President, starring Michael Douglas and Annette Benning. And we dive deep into this movie. We also talk a bit about um, High Fidelity, which is currently on Hulu. If you haven't checked it out, um, Zoe stars in that reinterpretation of the Nick Hornby book and the, uh, the film starring John Cusack. So you should check that out if you haven't already. And yes, we talk a bit about the Batman and her approach to Catwoman, which I know a lot of people listening to this podcast will be interested to hear. And she's, uh, it's always a great conversation. She's somebody that, um, I've always enjoyed talking to, whether it's, I think I first met her on the set of Divergent? Was she in the first Divergent? One of the Divergent movies. I met her on the set there, talked to her for Fantastic Beasts and other projects, and she's just a straight shooter, down to earth, a good egg, um, and obviously somebody with good taste. And I'm so excited that she's starring as Catwoman in The Batman. Um, this movie is going to just is just going to be amazing, and I, I can't wait. Um, other things to mention, we are also going to be back very soon. By the time you hear this, actually, I think the next new episode of Comedy Central's Stir Crazy series that I host will be up. We have the great J.B. Smoove 
he is hysterical. He is a wild man. Um, and that is an off the rails conversation in the best possible way. So, um, we have some really, really fun guests coming up on Sir Crazy on Comedy Central. So please do check that out. We also have the Teen Wolf reunion on MTV that we taped that we again delayed for obvious reasons. That's going to hopefully be coming out very soon. I think if you're a Teen Wolf fan, you're going to really, really dig that. All the, all the major participants are back. It is a, a big love fest among uh, that cast. So, yes, despite the sadness in the world and the frustrations in the world and the pandemic that is still a reality. And by the way, I know I opined about this on Twitter. Guys, just wear your masks outside. Please do me a favor. If not, if you've come away with nothing else from this, is it that much of an imposition? I know we all want to take the masks off. I know we all want to hang with our friends and family. But this is real. Um, you know, speaking as a New Yorker that saw the worst of this, and hopefully we are through the worst of this, saw literally a thousand people dying a day at a, at a certain time here in New York. It felt like the end of days. Um, it's getting worse around the country and other places. It's thankfully better here, but, um, you know, we've seen it up close here. So hopefully we're being relatively smart, but even here in New York, I was out on the street the other day and I saw people without their masks and I was wanted to turn into the grumpy old man screaming at them. I, I held my tongue, but I will not hold my tongue on my own podcast. Wear your fricking masks. Um, okay. That's enough preaching for the day. Let's get into some fun conversation with Zoe Kravitz. Remember to review, rate and subscribe to happy, say confused. And more important, as I said, if you're able Contribute to some good causes. Let's turn Texas blue. Let's contribute to the ACLU. Let's go to blacklivesmatter.com, um, wherever you uh, feel so inclined. And uh, let's just strive to make the world a little bit of a better place tomorrow than it was today. Uh, hope you guys enjoy this chat with Zoe Kravitz. Sadly, we've never had uh, Zoe Kravitz on the proper Happy Say Confused, but I'll take what I can get in these crazy times. Uh, it's good to see you. Good to see a familiar face. Yeah, likewise. Good to see anything. <laughs> Seriously. Anything besides the walls in our yeah. respective homes. Anything with Trump's face. I'm like, I'm cool. I'm cool oh, with it. We can dive deep into that, but oh, that's, God, that's, a, that's no. a sad podcast. We want to yeah. go happy here. Yeah. Um, I was just talking to you. You're, you're in England due to circumstance. You were in the middle of this crazy, ginormous Batman movie, and this has necessitated where you're where you're living for the time being um has it been how has that informed sort of like your experience you were telling me a little bit but give me a sense of how you're doing at, in yeah a it's land. definitely it's been strange i um i obviously have nothing to actually compare this to it's not like the last time i was in quarantine i was at <laughs> home and that was better but right. um but it's definitely just added a layer to the whole thing just um, a, just going from being in the middle of a really intense job, very long hours, training, all of that to nothing, which I know a lot of people can relate to just with any kind of job. And then, and then, yeah, being in a place that doesn't feel like home, obviously we're supposed to be, um, social distancing, but even just, you know, saying hi to people from a distance or whatever, you know, there's just been like, me and my husband have been incredibly isolated, um, and so, yeah, it's been, it's a, it's been a little bit of a trip. And then like the funny, it's been really interesting, like the little things that bring us comfort, right? Like, you know, I've been, I was raised, you know, eating very healthy and I basically, you know, I'm not a full vegan, but I eat really well. And there's been little things like my husband found an American store. No, 
an American store in... Uh, Just for the record, Zoe's not telling me. No, she's telling Oh, yeah, the dog. sorry. <laughs> if you hear me saying anything like that, it's my dog who's being a little... No, Josh. No, bad question. Uh, Josh, no. <laughs> no. Um, and, uh, and so he came, he came in the house one day with Ritz crackers and, and Aunt Jemima, you know, uh, pancake mix and Pop-Tarts and Oreos. And it was so strange because that's something we never have. Like junk foods is something we don't have in the house at home. And it brought us so much comfort. I get it. To see these things that remind, it was bizarre. It was really funny. I've had more Oreos in the last two months than I had in my previous 35 years. How do you uh, Oreo? Regular Oreo? Double stuff Oreo? This is a good question. We yeah. can dive deep. I mean, back in my youth, it was, I don't think they even, had, I remember like literally when double stuff came into existence and it was like, yeah. oh my God, they've cracked the code. They figured it out. That was it. But I've discovered, and this may be controversial, I've been dabbling in the thin lemon Oreo. I love lemon. That's amazing. And the thin is just, it's like now in my old age, I don't need that much stuff. The stuff yeah. is like, I, I think the double stuff is too much. I think much. it's overkill because then when you, cause I like to take, I like to take my Oreos apart. And then when you do the one side, it's too much. It's like all frosting. Right. I'd like to uh, welcome our brand new sponsor to Happy Set Confused <laughs> yeah, uh, Oreo. Exactly. Oreo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are talking about things that are comforting us uh, in these times, and that's appropriate given how I've kind of shifted the focus of, of my podcast recently. As I take um, a sip of wine, which has been something that's oh, I love really it. I'm jealous. <laughs> it's a little early here in New York, so I won't, I won't join you. Quarantine but knows no time, man. You're allowed. <laughs> Don't tempt me. Um, I need to be semi-coherent for this conversation. Um, but we're talking comfort movies. And I've been asking all my guests to pick a comfort movie. I got a, I got a list of a, a few from you, and I, yeah. chose, I chose I chose well, I love that, and I chose the one that I, I mean, all these are great picks, but the one that I also agree with, like I, it's a huge comfort movie for me. But first, before we get to the the one we're going to dive deep on, can we talk about the three you sent over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll list them. I'll list the two alternates. How about that? Yes. You, you mentioned uh, First Wives Club and Friday. Yes. yes. Both of which, and all three of these movies came. I would add came out within about a year of each other, 95. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even really think about that. So is there something to that? You were pretty young then. Did you watch all these movies when you were that age? I watched them, maybe not the year they came out, but they're the kinds of things that, you know, maybe my parents or friends of theirs were really into, so something that they would all watch, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think there's something about, you know, there's something comforting about, um, you know, things you saw when you were younger, of course. Of course. Happier times. (laughs) And... um, (laughs) But I also think that the 90s was like a golden age of film. Yeah. And um, who, who introduced you to film when you were a kid? Like, who was the biggest influence? Was it someone in the family, a friend? Like, who introduced you to That's a good question. The- I mean, it's funny. My mom, who was incredibly strict um, about the things that I was allowed to watch, um, we didn't have TV and um, we had a VCR. And so she was really strict about, you know, the things I was consuming and um, so she, she would share with me things that she, A, thought was appropriate, but B, a lot of things that she grew up watching mm-hmm. her, you know, so it's probably my mother, you know, I, you know, and it was because we didn't, you know, didn't have television on in the house whenever, you know, I was allowed to watch something. It was something that she wanted to share with me. And it was an event, you know, I remember like her pulling out, like, you know, the Star Wars movies, you know, the original Star Wars films on a VHS tape and watching, you know, yeah, there you go. I might have um, my shirt but, just, on. <laughs> but just the things that, oh yeah, I forget people can't see. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, but just, you know, things that she was excited to share. So probably my mother and also I mean, my father loves film as well. So. 
so so of the, the the two that we're not diving as deep on any particular memories or things you want to mention about why friday and first wives club who, who are not necessarily usually mentioned in the same breath i know it's funny <laughs> it was like i'm very like vanilla and also <laughs> at the same time um i friday i just think is a i think it's a i think it's like a perfect movie i really do i think um especially you know in a world where there's a there's this weird divide i feel between like quote unquote black movies right. and other, and everything else. Um, and uh, there's something really wonderful about seeing a movie made by black people, made for black people that isn't gimmicky in any way, especially the first one. You know, I think there's like really beautiful moments and really great performances. I mean, Ice Cube is just incredible. Chris Tucker's breakout role. Um, and the thing I really like about a lot of '90s movies too is that they're really there's they're they're slice of life films, right? They're really they're about characters and humanity, and so there's all these really tiny moments in Friday. You know, like he wakes up in the morning and nothing's going right, and you know he his mom's making his big breakfast and she won't share it with him, and then he has he he's like, all right, I'll eat cereal, and there's no milk, and she tells him to put water on it. It's just like it's so funny, and I love stories about just like. I love that it happens in 24 hours. Yeah. I love that everything goes wrong. Um, Launched so many careers. I think that was F. Gary Gray's first directing effort. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, everybody exploded off the screen on that one. And then, and then something, so first Watch Club's a bit different. Obviously, these are like seasoned veterans, but like when they kind of like came together, it was mm-hmm. kind of like a dream team um, that we never could have imagined at the time, I guess. I mean, I've always, I mean, Bette Midler, Goldie Hawn, um, oh my God. Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton, thank yeah. you. I just watched The Godfather too. I'm like, why am I here? <laughs> um, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, they're like the queens, right? Like the yeah. ultimate queens and them coming together. And Rob Reiner, um, I find his films to be incredibly um, comforting. But also, it's like these comedies that don't feel like, and, and big comedies, you know, like big studio comedies that feel sophisticated at the same time, you know? So yeah. it's not like, I mean, it, it can still have like gags and stuff and all, you know, but I still feel like there's, there's a lot of heart, there's a lot of sophistication. The humor is intelligent. Um, and I just think the three of them together are just magical. And like, it can go from a really strong dialogue heavy scene in a, you know, at a dinner table and then go to something as crazy as them going down the window, you know, yeah. it's just, but it works. It all works. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I love that story. Uh, a, a lot of this, the, the scriptures you just used can apply to the, the main event today. So uh, let's talk about your main comfort movie we're going to talk about today. Um, why don't you introduce it? Tell us what your comfort movie is and, and why you chose it. The comfort movie we're going to talk about today is The American President. And I'm curious why, I'd like to know why you gravitated towards this choice from the list before we dive in. Sure. So the American president, um, I'm a bit older than you. So uh, I feel like it hit me at the right time. It was, I didn't know who Aaron Sorkin was at the time. This is written mm-hmm. by Aaron Sorkin. You mentioned Rob Reiner before, directed by Rob Reiner. And I, it's kind of the stuff you were talking about before. This is kind of like, for me, the epitome of like a slick in a good way, uh-huh. 90s dramedy. Like uh-huh. it's smart, it's sophisticated, it's about adults, it looks great. It looks great, it's true, it's true, yeah. 
Do you know, by the way, uh, here's a fact I was going to throw in later that you'll appreciate. Do you know who the director of photography was? Of John Seal. John Seal. Who, of course, was uh, the, DP the DP of Mad Max. Of it's funny because I watched it recently, the uh, the American president, and and for the first time no noticed that and went, oh, yeah. Johnny did this. It's funny. Yeah, and I think it's it's Michael Douglas who weirdly was like in like a spate of like sex thrillers at the time, and then yeah. it's like, but, but, but somehow in the middle of all that made this kind of like wholesome, idealized, like the best version of the president we could want. Annette Benning in her most Annette Benning is just wonderful in this movie. I mean, there's this scene where he calls her for the first time, and I'm just, I'm just, I was a giddy for her and with her. And just, um, I think also the thing that makes me gravitate towards these films and these kinds of comedy is that the act, the, the acting is really exquisite, and the the actors are not playing the joke, right? They don't have to, because if you have someone like Sorkin writing for you, you don't have to do anything but make it real, you know? And um, there's something interesting about that. Like I was imagining someone now doing that scene and I feel like it would just be like goofy, you know? It's it's smart actors that are doing light comedy, but it's just such a deft touch. Um, We should mention some of the cast. We've mentioned some of it already. So let me just uh, give some basics. Uh, Michael Douglas, of course, plays President Andrew Shepard, Annette Bening, Cindy Ellen Wade. You've got Martin Sheen as the Chief of Staff, Samantha Mathis, Michael J. Fox, Richard Dreyfuss as evil Senator Rumson. Um, (laughs) It's a great ensemble and a real precursor, by the way, to the West Wing. Yes. The, the, the word on the street is that uh, a lot of the discarded elements of the script uh, from yes. this film ended up in the first season of West Wing. So you well, I was see- watching the um, those masterclass, right? The masterclass. Oh, thing. cool. Yeah. I was watching Sorkin's, and um, it was interesting. He said something that I was like, "Oh, that's really true." He said, "If if the thing that you're in love with is a place, is a location, when he was doing Newsroom or something, or the West Wing. Like, if you're, if you're interested in, in a place and how it runs, that's a TV show. Yes. And if it's a, if it's a story with a beginning, and the me- beginning, middle, and end, and it just kind of finishes at the end, it's a film. But if there's, like, a place that you think is really interesting that can continue on, that's how you know the difference between the two. And I thought that was really interesting. Smart guy. Okay, so, um, so what are your memories? Of, do you have any specific memory about when you saw this or who you saw this with? Um, I, I mean, I watched it when I was... I don't know, maybe in my early teens or something. And I don't really think it affected me very much the first time I saw it. I think, um, you know, I don't know. It was just like, it was an adult movie. It was, you know, um, I probably didn't get a lot of the humor either right. because Sorkin's so dry and smart. And um, and then watched it recently um, after actually watching Sorkin's um, masterclass and thought, and then I and it made me look up Rod, Rob Reiner too, and I was just like, God damn, this man's just like made so many of my favorite films, you know. Yeah. Um, and so me and my husband watched um, Princess Bride and A Few Good Men, and um, which is just like, oh my god, um, and The American President, and I just had this reaction to The American President, which, you know despite what's going on, I was like sitting on my couch, probably a little stoned and was just like fully in it. I was like invested. I'm like, oh, he's calling her up, you know, and she's answering the phone and she doesn't believe it's him. And oh my God, this is going to get in between them. And he's going to ask her to dance and they're dancing, you know, just like 
So, and, and then of course, you know, to be whisked away to a world where the president is not only someone that makes you want to shoot yourself in the face, but <laughs> someone that makes you want to like go on a date with him. You know, it just also just took me into this world where I was like, oh, yeah, the American president is supposed to be a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, so there's it, plays, something... it, it plays a science fiction now. It's like, well, is yes, this even exactly. possible? <laughs> the idea of like the president calling you up now and asking you on a date makes you want to. Uh, oh, it's a horror. It's a, that's a blumhouse. It's a horror movie. film. That's, yeah, yeah exactly. it would be a horror film now. The American president. <laughs> like a horror film. It's me. That guy can't even <laughs> dial his own phone. Let's be real. Like Trump trying to order flowers and just being like. <laughs> um, um, oh, that whole bit is so funny how he can't figure out how to get her flowers and. And it pays off at the end. That's kind and of the. And it pays end. off at the rose garden, and he goes into the well. He goes into the place, and she passes out. And I just, lo- I just, I don't know. I loved it, it. It does work on a number of levels. I think. I think you're right. Like it, it's, it's an unabashedly kind of romantic movie, and kind of sweet and wholesome. They name check Frank Capra in the movie, mm-hmm. and of course, it's definitely in that vein. Um, you know, you can see the bones of it in like something like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, etc. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty sophisticated, like you said. Like I think like a really like a seven-year-old or ten-year-old kid maybe isn't going to get the political stuff. But like the main thrust of the story, in some ways, is about like passing a bill and getting enough votes. <laughs> and that was also something really interesting. Where you know they're talking about um, the environment, right? And just the fact that so many years have gone by and how far have we come, you know, the fact totally. is, so that was, that was something that I connected to as well. And, um, yeah, the yeah, environment so, and gun control are the two issues. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, wait, this is 25 like, years we're ago. We're still talking about this shit, you know? Um, and that's something, of course, as a younger person, I wouldn't have really felt, you know? So, um, I think, and that's what Sorkin does so well, right? The balance between talking about real shit and hiding it in clever wit, yeah. you know? Have you ever, uh, you've never done a Sorkin? No, God, I'd be, would be, it'd be, I mean, that would be a dream and I would also be very scared <laughs> um, just because he's working. But I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge fan, as you can probably tell. <laughs> it's, it's funny to see, yeah, again, like to see in context, because again, he wasn't Sorkin then, but he, literally the first scene of the film is a walk and talk, which of course yes. will, will become like his, his hallmark. With the assistant, right? It's the assistant in the yes. credit? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so a, a couple other things I want to mention. I, I think one of the MVPs of this film is also the, again, very romantic and wholesome, but the score by Mark Shaman. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, it's so true. So gorgeous, and it's it plays true. over the opening credits. They've used it in trailers since, and I understand why. It just kind of fits the material. It's and like every a, time it comes up, you really do. You kind of perk up and feel it, and yeah, yeah. Um. Let's see, other things to mention. Yeah, you mentioned Rob Reiner, Rob Reiner at the time, and he was on a hell of a streak. It was interesting, though. He, so he, this is the streak of movies he had made. He did Stand By Me, Princess mm. Bride, Misery, mm. Two Good Men. But then, right before this one, he made... Oh, no. Have you ever seen North? Do you know North at all? No, I haven't seen North. Should North, I not say North? You can skip North. And, and North <laughs> at the time was like an infamous bomb. It was like with Ethan, uh, um, uh, Elisha Wood and like okay. Bruce Willis and all-star cast. And it was like the one kind of uh, chink in his armor back then. But yeah, it just strikes me like the, the variety, like Reiner at his peak was able to do so many different kinds of movies. Elite yeah. Thriller, Stephen King, fantasy. And do them all so well. That's the thing. No, Layla, no. <laughs> Layla not a fan of Rob yeah, Reiner. Yeah, honestly, work. like, what's the problem with Rob Reiner? No, but to be able to do a film like a coming of age film, like like Stand by Me, which is also one of my absolute favorite films, and then to do a thriller horror like Misery, 
you know, and it's yeah. just, and, and then to do fantasy, like the princess bride, I mean, they're vastly different and approached with the same amount of precision. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. And humanity, like it feels humanity. like those, those characters are really like indelible. Like I will, yeah. like every character in this film, and that's partially of course, thanks to Sorkin, but like, it, it feels like a very lived in film like that staff at the white house like yes the whole thing with the with the with the assistant you're like oh she's on her ship but she gets freaked out when he wants to do something himself and yeah it's yeah it's amazing yeah i love the relationship between martin sheen and uh and uh, michael douglas in this one like there's that history with them and mm-hmm. and, and 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 sheen won't call him by his yes, name when he says, call, yeah he says okay mr president yeah that's a great moment and then uh, also the yeah. way that they the way that they kind of kick off the whole romantic story, which is that I forget her name, but the one of his um, I don't know what she what she does for him, but what, I don't think she's I don't think she's his assistant, but she mentions early on something about him being a widower or something. Yes. And they and you see it right now, like how many minutes are we into the movie, and this is the thing that's going to make him do something different this time, you know, totally. and he happens to meet Annette Benning like that day and asks her if she wants a donut. And it's just like, what? And it's just, it's just, it's so smart. It's such, it's so well done. And, and by the way, that staff member, um, I remember being struck by this at the time was uh, played by Anna Devere Smith, a made amazing playwright. Yes. Who, okay. I didn't know that was her. Um, some, some facts that I came across about this film. This, this is intriguing. You know, the what ifs of casting, I mean, I love the casting, but... Yeah, you, someone else was supposed this? to play... Yeah, he, he mentioned it during his master class, but I don't remember who the actor was. Redford, Robert Redford. Redford. It was apparently began as like an idea from Redford that Sorkin kind of was commissioned to write. Yes. And not only that, it was Redford and Emma Thompson, which... So interesting. Would have been so different. Would have been so, so different. A good movie probably in its own right, but a different movie. And apparently Sorkin's first draft of this script was like... I don't know, 300 pages or something. He said that he right. he brought it. He brought the script over in a plastic bag or something because it was well, so heavy. Well, that keys into one of the darker fun facts that I read is in an interview, Aaron Sorkin has admitted that he wrote this screenplay while high on crack. No. I swear to God, these are his words. No. Yes. He wrote <laughs> such a sweet, wholesome film on crack. <laughs> no, if someone told me they wrote like Jacob's Ladder on yeah. crack, like or that like makes sense. Requiem for a Dream. Some yeah, kind of like, like crazy... that's what you write on crack. But if yeah. you're gonna take crack, if you're gonna do crack and write a few good, I mean, to write uh, <laughs> the American President, then you know, weird. All right. <laughs> he got that through. That is the most bizarre. <laughs> no, isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Um, couple. I mean, this film has definitely resonated. I think it still comes up in pop culture in, in weird ways too. I don't know if you remember this. Like, of all people, Ted Cruz like paraphrased like Andrew Shepard's like speech on the campaign trail in 2016. I did not know that. Weird. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I mean, we should also say like the speeches, and in particular the speech um, Michael Douglas as Andrew Shepard makes at the very end is yes. just like again like the best version of a politician you ever want. Someone who's like principled yep. and eloquent and stands up in the right, at the right time for the right thing. Breaks the rules in the right way, right, you know? Yeah. Another detail that is so beautiful in this, in this story is in the, first, in the opening scene, he skipped over a, um, a part of the speech. Yes, yes. And, um, and Michael J. Fox is freaking out about it. And they and they never go back to it. And then Annette Benning says to him later, "You 
she notices when he's lying or when he does something or he's feeling weird or something. And she says, like in your speech, there was something else that was supposed to be said there. You skipped exactly. over it. And it's just like, ah, oh, it's just beautiful. It's just smart. It's just smart writing. <laughs> I love smart writing. So, with, okay, a couple, a couple uh, general kind of questions uh, uh, to consider in this film. Do you think, we kind of alluded to this already, does this film, it plays differently currently in this environment, obviously. Do you think it plays better or worse or just different considering what we are dealing with right now? I think it's, for me, it was better because I think, you know, if, if Obama was in office or something, it would just be like this romantic idea of... Right the president asking you out on a date. And now it really does feel like a fantasy. Not only, not only the president asking you on a date, but having a president who you would want to ask you out on a date, you know? So I think it really does have this kind of <laughs> layer to it that wasn't there before. Well, let's give some, uh, some awards out for this film. The best performance in this film, who would you bestow that honor to? Annette Benning. She's great. It's also something like, I, I remember seeing her in, I think like one of her big, early roles was the grifters mm-hmm. um amazing in that and then bugsy but we hadn't seen her like in this kind of a charming kind of just like smart but sweet role and it was just perfect yeah i think annette benning is can be so annette benning which which we which we love but there was something there was something so soft about her in this and it was kind of like um it was just you know she's flustered and she um she just plays it so well. Like she plays the comedy so well. And of course we know Annette Benning is funny, I, but um, there's just a, there's a softness to her, you know, when they, when they're walking down the stairs for the first time yes. and she's like asking him about first dates, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just, it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. Um, do you have a favorite scene in the film? We've alluded to a bunch. Is there one that jumps I, out? One of my favorite scenes is when he calls her for the first time and she doesn't think it's him and she hangs up on him and he calls yeah. back and tells her to call the white house. I think that's a, I, her in that scene. I think she's just wonderful because her face after she's told him how sexy she thought he was, cause she thought she thinks it's a joke. And then the, her, her, like the real, the, I think the real terror on her face when she realizes Layla, no, <laughs> the rear, the real terror on her face when she realizes that she really just said that to the president is just like, you're so embarrassed for her and with her, you know, you're just like, oh, yeah, like, I mean, it would be bad enough. I mean, it plays on just like a dating level. It's taking yes, the president exactly. part of it. But then you add in the layer of like the, the, the most powerful person on the planet, then it just becomes amazing. Um, and um, you're killing me, dude. You're killing me. <laughs> you're breaking her concentration, Layla, as we discuss a classic. No. <laughs> Quiet. Oh, yeah. She knows she's in for it now. Um, what about... Okay, how about this? Uh, remake or sequel? Do we leave this one alone? It's funny because I have that feeling, especially as an actress, when I watch something like this, and I'm like, ooh, I want this role, you know? I want to remake it, but there's just... I think more than remaking it, I just want more films that feel like this. Totally. And Great. I don't know yeah. the last time I've seen a film... It's like either, you know, comedies are so broad or the indies are so indie. And there's, this is kind of like the melding of like the drama and the comedy and the indie and all of that together. And I just, I I think I am hungry for this tone of film again. Is there a, I like to program a double feature for the audience sometimes with these, these picks. Does one jump out at you as a good movie to pair this with? If not, I've got a, I've got a nomination. I mean, we did watch, just going on, we were on a a Sorkin-Reiner kick and watched A Few Good Men after and... That was also really satisfying and smart and fun. Totally. And 
Tom Cruise is such a movie star. It's so funny just like knowing what we know, how, you know, like how strange he can be and all the things we know about him now and just kind of like doesn't, does not matter. He, he's on that screen oh, and man. you're just like, I'm in. And there's like extreme close-ups of him and Nicholson's face and it's just like yes. you don't want to look anywhere else. It's yes, just- <laughs> you're just like, oh my God. And there's, you know, the way he shoots that scene um, in the courtroom, um, you know, where he's interrogating him and um, the, the, like the, my husband pointed it out and it was really interesting the way it was shot. It's like, it gets like, first it's like Nicholson by himself and Tom Cruise by himself. And then all of a sudden like Tom Cruise is dirty and Nicholson shot. And then all of a sudden we're getting closer and we're getting closer and you're see, and you're feeling him get backed up. And all of a sudden we get to like, you can't handle the truth. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. And um, it's so exciting. Um, I love it. Yeah. That's my nomination. What's yours? My, that's a good one. Um, mine would be in the vein of these kind of like light but smart presidential comedies. Uh, there was a movie that came out two years prior to this that I love called Dave directed by Ivan Reitman, starring uh, Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver. I have seen that. I'm going to watch it. Oh, dude. You, I, you would You would like Dave. Dave okay, is, cool. it's, it, it's a very uh, smart, but funny and, and romantic. It has a lot of similarities to this film, but it's, it's, um, it's great. Highly recommended. Awesome. Dave, I'm on it. Um, okay. So uh, that, that is the American president. Some other things I want to hit up with you. If you have a couple minutes, I do yeah, want to mention yeah. um, high fidelity, of course, on yes. Hulu, which it feels like, it feels like it came out six years ago, but that was just, <laughs> oh, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> um, that was obviously such a, an accomplishment. I know source of pride for you. You were an executive producer. You'd never been like the star of your own series like that. Yeah. Did, did it feel like a, a big challenge and test for you? And, and tell me about the relief when you, obviously feel like you pulled it off yeah it was a huge it was it was a huge challenge and I learned a lot um it was it almost felt like some kind of crash course in um in storytelling in producing in um in and and just kind of seeing behind the curtain you know all the things that it takes to make something good you know and um and you know protecting protecting the humanity, the things that we love about the things that we're talking about, you know, in those kinds of films, like that's a job. There should be so, I mean, it should be the director's job, but I'm like, that's all, that's a job on its own, you know, just protecting the, the heart and protecting the humanity. That's really hard to do. Yeah. Um, especially when you're doing something in 30 minutes and it's for network and they want it to appeal to everybody. And, you know, it's like, how do you figure out how to tell a story um, that, is appealing to a lot of people, but also feels honest and specific because that's what makes storytelling interesting. So um, it was, it was great. It was like, I think I drove myself a little bit crazy because I, you know, if you're going to produce and be involved, it's like, where does it, where does it end? You know what I mean? I I wrote an episode and I was involved with the casting and I'm giving notes and everything. I'm out every notes call and I'm, you know, writing in music and I'm seeing, you know, I'm on set seeing if this, the song got cleared and I'm in the editing suite and I'm, you know, it's like, it was insane. (laughs) Well, and it's Um, all about focus and, 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 and kind of losing yourself once you're on set in front of that camera and you have to let go of all those other things that are in your producerial brain. That's a, that's a challenge. That's a lot to kind of like keep balanced. I think because I was so involved in this project from the very beginning. And so from, you know, from, you know, writing the, the, all the episodes, you know, and I saw the, the, the character evolve and I was giving, and when you're, you know, so, so involved in something and you're giving notes on, you know, scripts and stuff like that, by the time I was on set, it was like, 
I knew this person in my bones and I knew the words and I, I was more concerned about, you know, another actor or, you know, looking at audition tapes in between setups and trying to find something, you know, like it, it, the last thing on my mind was my performance and who knows, that's, I mean, whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, but um, it was just really interesting to go through something that way because usually as an actor, you're sitting in your trailer Right. going over your lines, over, yeah. overthinking, like kind of like what my character is doing in the show. Um, and I actually didn't have time to, to do that without my own performance. Well, maybe that's a good lesson. To, I think so, actually, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, you must get an uh, enjoyment out of the fact that uh, it's been five years and, and thankfully the world has come to agree in a relatively short period of time that Fury Road is one of the greats of all time. Um, I, think I, I think I called it at the time, just for the record, but now, <laughs> now the rest of the world agrees. Um, I, that oral history in the Times was great, and I just love that um, it's appreciated as just this like weird, bizarre, singular vision that could only come from George Miller. Yeah, it's been really, it's funny because I hadn't thought about that film in a long time, and you know, I don't watch my own movies really. I see them once and then I, that was it, you know, and so, um, because of the five-year anniversary, I did, you know, that interview for the New York Times, and then um, me and my husband got this projector for, because now all we do is watch movies, <laughs> and um, so we decided to watch it, and I hadn't seen it since it came out, and um, and then also doing that New York Times interview, just like talking about it and thinking about things I hadn't thought about in a long time, and just what an insane experience it was making that movie, and then to be able to watch it and say that it was worth it is incredible, you know, and to yeah. really be able to step back from it as well and really just watch it as, you know, the first time you see anything that you're in, you're kind of just judging yourself and thinking about like what it was like to film something that day or whatever. So to sit back and watch it and say, holy shit, I'm in this, like I'm in this movie. That's insane. Yeah. You know? And well, especially um, something like that, which I know was just like, you know, making it was, it, it could have it, it, it just as easily probably could have turned into a disaster the first time you saw it and be like, wait, how did he, it, this didn't work. Uh, I mean, just, it, it, it couldn't have been any worse. Like the movie needed to be exactly as good as it is for it to feel like it was worth it. That's how hard it was to make this movie. Right. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what do you think? Um, I, I'm filled with mixed emotions because I've been like, every time I've seen Charlize in the last five years, I'm like, when's the Furiosa sequel? And I guess mm -hmm. we now have the official word from George that he's going to go back and recast Furiosa, which is a quite a challenge. Um, do you have mixed emotions about that? I mean, what, what, what's your take on that? I, he, was, he always spoke about, uh, if I recall correctly, he always spoke about wanting to do a Furiosa prequel. I didn't know he was going to recast her. Um, so I don't, I mean, look, man, if I learned anything from being in Fury Road, it's shut up and trust George Miller, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> I think Tom Hardy learned that too. As yeah. Charlie is, right? Exactly. Yeah. We all really did. So I think, you know, I'm just going to shut my mouth and say, go to work, maestro, because <laughs> I don't know what else I can say to that man. Who do we cast as young Furiosa? Have you heard about, like, the people that, that have been testing? I heard they... one name, and I didn't know who she was. Um, well, there's so... Jody, I don't know if you watch Killing Eve. I guess Jodie Comer is one person that they Okay, I don't, about. but that's, I think, the name that I saw. She's very talented, and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy has been doing a lot lately. Those are the two that, I guess, are... As of this, as of this moment in the running, but who who knows? Again, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. You know, like I think we all have to just like, I know, especially when something is um, greatly appreciated, the fans feel like they own it. You know, 
and that they know what's best. But you have to remember that the reason the thing exists that you love so much is because this guy knows how to do shit. So yeah. I think I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah, that's an that's an app topic for a lot of the the nerdy film conversations I have nowadays. Um, but last thing I'll, I'll leave you with, and I know we, we can't say much, but you were knee deep in, in the Batman, as we like to call yeah. it. That's yes. the official name. The Matt, Batman. Re- <laughs> Matt Reeves, I'm, I've always been obsessed with, so this couldn't be in better hands. Um, talk to me just a little bit about, like, has your, have you shot much yet? Like, are, has we this, shot, sh- yeah. yeah, we've shot for, we were shooting for about two months. Um, so, you know, we were like still getting going, but we were in it, man. We were shooting, (laughs) you know, we were, we were shooting. What was it like to see in the early stuff to see your buddy Rob in that costume? Oh, it's amazing. I I mean, just, he's, I mean, he's Batman when he's wearing (laughs) that costume, he's Batman, you know? And, um, it's interesting. It's like, you don't really get used to seeing Batman walk past you because you know we've all grown up with this character so um it's like a pinch me moment all the time and um and he's wonderful he's like he's he's really wonderful and there's you know there's sometimes I have moments especially like when I auditioned I remember just feeling silly and he was he was only in half the suit because it was just a a camera test and just sure. thinking like we're adults and we're dressed up like Batman <laughs> and we're, and we're doing a really dramatic scene. And it's just like, sometimes it's, sometimes it's like, Oh my God, this is happening. And sometimes it's like, this is funny. <laughs> I don't know. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Cause you gotta just, you gotta, you gotta put, push it all the way down <laughs> and sell take it. it. <laughs> take it seriously. Um, as, but it's great. And that, yeah. and that's, as you said, you know, it's just, he is absolutely the man for this, for this job. And um, the script is, phenomenal we haven't seen your look yet as selena i know i know i i mean i'm sure there was i i think if this hadn't happened it would have probably come out by now but um did you have much say were you happy are you happy i mean obviously i I love it yeah michelle pfeiffer's catwoman that iconic look they've all had iconic looks did they've all had iconic find a different thing yes this i mean the tone of this film very much feels like its own thing and it's funny, I didn't really think about like how difficult it is to make something as simple as a cat suit original. It's like how do you how do you reinvent the jean jacket? You know, it's like it's a jean, it's jean, right. it's a jacket. Like what do you do? Right. Um but Jacqueline Duran, who's our amazing costume designer, is just a genius. And um yeah, it was amazing. It wasn't it was cool it, to be a part of the process because sometimes in films this big you know, it can be very much, you know, put this on, stand over there, say this. And, you know, Matt is very much about process. So, um, yeah, it, it began, the whole, the whole thing began with conversations between me and Matt and Jacqueline. And so um, we kind of birthed this thing together and there's references to, you know, the, the year of the comic that we're, you know, we're dealing with and it's cool. What comics were you reading for... Did Matt give you a list of specific comics to read? Um, I've been reading the, the year one comic. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's great. It's great. It's just, it's like super, it's super badass. And um, <laughs> it is, it's super badass. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, you know, it's been sad to be so, you know, geared up for something and have to, and have to come to a, to a halt. But at the same time, I've, you know, of course, been trying to find glass half full 
you know, right. ways of thinking. And, you know, it is interesting, you know, for, for our generation, this really is the first, um, I mean, pandemic, but just like um, situation of this caliber that we've had to deal with in, in all of these movies when we're dealing with superheroes and, um, you know, it's always, it's the end of the world and things are a mess and something needs to be fixed. And all of a sudden I feel like I actually have some kind of understanding for the first time in my life about what these people are really fighting for, you know? So, um, of course it's a movie, it's Batman, but I, you know, I do want to come to it with that kind of intention. So yeah. there's a gift in here somewhere. I think. Well, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think one of the fascinating things to come out of this will be how art responds to this crazy situation. Cause yeah. being with any kind of major event, whether it was nine 11 or world wars, um, art reflects what, society is going through and it may it's going to show up in the batman but it's going to show up in in original screenplays and tv and music and everything and that's going to be something interesting i'm sure i know i do i do believe and hope that this will kind of be a like a golden age of art after this Um, and that doesn't you know for people listening at home and making things it doesn't mean just writing about the thing you know it doesn't mean writing a movie about quarantine it's just we have this opportunity to be still for a minute and to have time to think and what ideas are going to pop up that you would have never had the space for before. Um, so I hope that people take that opportunity and think outside the box and use this time to, to get things going. We'll see what Sorkin has up his sleeve after yeah, all of this. Yeah, dude, Sorkin. <laughs> Come on, what does Sorkin have to say about this? <laughs> um, Zoe, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you took some time out for, to distract me and the audience uh, to talk about some some awesome classic films. Uh, the American President, by the way, is, uh, I think you can check it out on Showtime. That's where I checked it out for the probably 20th time in my life, so thank you for that <laughs> excuse. Uh, everybody should check out High Fidelity if you haven't already. That's on Hulu. Yeah. And, uh, I couldn't be more excited for the Batman. I'm anxious for you guys to get back to work. And, Me uh, too, and, man. Yeah. Um, thank well, you. Thank again, you. Zoe. It's nice to see you. Hang in there. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>